And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere... Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Clichés show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never-ending domestic season finally draws to a close, we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. After 36 goals, 12 matches and one dose of extra time, we now have our final six. Brentford. Whipped in and into the back of the net. Marcus Force has scored. Swansea. Yes! Matt Bright! 2-0! Blackpool. Finds room and finds the corner. A Blackpool beauty from Elliot Embleton. Lincoln. And they've dropped the goal. Oh, well, that really has put the cat amongst the pigeons. Morecambe. Towards Wardig. Lift off for Morecambe. And Newport. Maynard surely has scored the winner and sent Newport County through to the final. The playoffs are where it's at and we're going to bring you all of it. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, I'm your host, Baker Rothers, here to help you relive that wonderful weekend of football in the EFL. Alongside me as ever, it's Super Sammy Parkin. How are you doing, Sam? I'm really good, Faye. Good to speak to you. And you, as always. It's a man who didn't get his St Totteringham's Day, but it is all about the Football League anyway. It's Adrian Clark. Hi, Adrian. Of course it is. Yeah, hello, <laughs> Faye. Yeah, no, absolutely loved the playoff uh, football, where a goal is a goal you know that it's not going to be disallowed a minute or two minutes later. Isn't that nice? It's lovely just to celebrate. Although one person who perhaps was not celebrating, unfortunately, although perhaps she is after her long-awaited return back to the show. Unfortunately, though, it was just in time to watch her beloved Oxford crash out of the playoffs. It's commentator extraordinaire Robin Cowan. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Faye. This more than makes up for it. Um, oh, I thought I thought it might dot, do. Dot, dot. I, I, want, I want to see your celebration that you can actually do. Uh, what's it like though, being back 
at work. Was it about seven months out you had? Yeah, it's different, really different. You just realise how much you've got to manage your time. That's the main thing. Usually I had loads of time in the world to procrastinate, look at the phone, you know, have the TV on. And now it's like, okay, now I actually have to concentrate um, for the allotted time that I have. So yeah, uh, very different, very different, but great to be back. We won't reveal to everybody what you what you just had to handle before you came on and talked to us either, because no one needs to know mm. that really, do they? <laughs> no. <laughs> All about the playoffs today, though, so let's get on with it. There's only one place to start, and that's West London as Brentford and Bournemouth did their thing. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. <laughs> what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, mid odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Dan Juma can run and run and run, and the home defenders have let him go, and Dan Juma has scored. They're screaming penalty, and they've got it. Tony scores. Nepo's had it nipped away, and Mbuma goes down. Well, Nepo might be in trouble, he's sent off. Nepo is sent off against his former club. Score for Brentford. Whipped in and into the back of the net. Marcus Forster scored. Okay, Brentford three, Bournemouth one. Brentford going through 3-2 on aggregate and didn't this game have absolutely everything from Bournemouth scoring from a Brentford corner to Asmir Begovic's shithousery. I'm so sorry, there is no other word for that. Uh, And then, of course, Chris Meppham's rugby tackle and finally ending with a tour de fours. Uh, There was a strong contender in League Two yesterday, obviously, but is this perhaps the best game we've seen this season, Sam? In the Championship, certainly. Um, I don't know about that, but maybe for just pure crazy incidents back to back in the first half, possibly it was absolutely insane, wasn't it? To think that those Begovic antics occurred after 16 minutes of the match was exceptional. Like <laughs> trying to time waste, Ivan Tony had every right to go and grab the ball and and get his team going again. Yeah, so from that aspect, you you probably got a point, Faye. Um, but I thought again. Thomas Frank really w- w- was great with his tactics and his change at halftime. That showed real decisiveness to get force onto the pitch. And and Bournemouth did the opposite, really. Um, I thought they tried to um, keep what they had uh, instead of maybe keeping David Brooks in particular, you know, on the pitch and maybe keeping a slightly more offensive outlook, um, which we know they can do. They've got some brilliant players on the break, as Dan Juma showcased. But, but no, it was... It, it was very one-sided. I think seventeen shots to two, and uh, and Brentford deserved their their place in the final over the two legs. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the highlights there, and there is so much to go through that we're going to do it chronologically because that kind of makes sense. So we'll start with uh, the Bournemouth goal and Robin as a commentator. Uh, could you remind us all what happened first of all? Well, uh, it was a Brentford corner kick, and everyone just looked around, and suddenly Arnold Danjuma had the whole of the Brentford half to run into. I just don't understand how that happens. How does that happen? I mean, from the player's point of view and also from the touchline, Thomas Frank, does he not say, hang on a sec, we've got literally no one back here? 
and he runs through on goal and he, obviously he scores because he's had a fantastic season. He's full of confidence. I just honestly, I couldn't believe it when I, I watched it over and over again, the replay. You just think, really? I mean, even my Sunday league team who lose every week. We have a lovely time, by the way, but we, we lose it's a all, lot. Listen, listen, it's not about winning, <laughs> it's about the taking part. But good, at price, good at price ski robbing, is it? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. But you just think, who's taking charge there? Who, who should say, look, you know, I'm sure that's not how they're supposed to set up from an attacking corner, surely. Well, I'm just wondering, actually, Adrian, whether mm. or not that the blow that they had in the warm-up with Christian Norgard uh, injured kind of disrupted the back three a little bit, and that might have had something to do with it because it was it was a bit embarrassing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. He could have been the one that was designated to sort of stay hold the fort there, but the players have got to look around and realise where they are on the pitch. It was it was a criminal goal to concede. What I will say is that didn't Dan Juma do well? I mean, he had a long, long way to go Thank you, uh, with the ball at his feet. And it was a really, really calm finish. Um, yeah, just I think he's been magnificent this season. So I thought it was a brilliant goal from his point of view. But yeah, of course, the yeah, of course, they, they just lost concentration. It's as simple as that. They, they knew that they shouldn't have, have been sort of drawn towards the opposite box like a magnet. And they, pay, they paid a pretty big price for that. They did, but they were then back in the game with the potentially controversial incident with the penalty, Sam. Lloyd Kelly kind of diving in, handballs it. Was that harsh or that, that that is just the rules now and you just have to deal with it? You're bang on, Faye, really. You know, rewind 15, 20 years when I was playing, I would have been going ballistic in a game of that magnitude if that was awarded. But I'm afraid in the modern game, that, that's a penalty. So I can understand why Bournemouth are unhappy, but in the cold light of day today, now that the dust settled, they'll have to accept that that is where we are. So yeah, I've seen them penalties given for a lot less this season across all levels. So I think it was sour grapes a little bit for the manager to come out afterwards and for Begovic to act in the fashion that he did. I just felt that Brentford would have probably had that opportunity uh, again, you know, they would have got, they would have made chances. They would have made chances in that game. Of course, the sending off had a huge bearing, which we'll come on to, but I don't think the penalty really, you know, was the reason they've, they've lost. No, the red card though, no argument with that. As, as Sam mentioned, Robin, it was a bit of a heads gone moment as well from a former Brentford player of all people. Oh, totally. Well, before that we had Asmir Begovic's, you know, weird sort of, tussle with Ivan Tony. It looks like they just from there, Brent, uh, Bournemouth just lost it, didn't they? Just not keeping cool heads. And I think ultimately that's what has cost them this tie because they obviously have very good players, just not good game management. And Chris Meppham kind of, you know, illustrated that by, by his decision to, sort of, it's almost like a sort of child pulling down. <laughs> I don't just know. Swiped he's, he's, at his leg like Swiped at his ankle. And you just think... <laughs> I, it happened very quickly, to be fair to him. So I just wonder, you know, the boys who've actually, you know, played it, when it happens that quickly, I guess it must, it must just be instinct because as a manager, surely you just say, let him go. If he scores, he scores, but at least we've got 11 against 11. Surely that's a better scenario, isn't it? Yeah. I think we're missing the facts that we actually cost Bournemouth because Steve Cook was on the show two weeks ago and had he been fit, we might not be talking about this. So I think he, he was actually a big loss in all seriousness. 
Yeah, yeah. he was he was ma- massive uh, w- without him. It just it 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 changed Bournemouth's perspective, and that solidity uh, was then gone. And, and we've talked about you know whether the red card was pivotal or or the penalty w- was pivotal. Which was was the most? The Sky commentators uh, seemed to think that the penalty was the most pivotal what, what what did you think Adrian you're shaking your head so yeah, not, been... not for me no I, I think it was the red card um and it it was the reaction to the red card that cost Bournemouth you just touched on it there they didn't keep calm heads I've I got to say it wasn't a good day for Jonathan Woodgate it really wasn't um I, I think the players were maybe too too pent up with their emotions and obviously it's his job really to to keep that in check but what he did after the, the the dismissal, I think, disrupted the team too much. Obviously, he sacrificed Brooks, which I thought was maybe a mistake um, f- to bring on Rico. But what it meant was that Kelly came into midfield. He put Solanke out wide. Billing moved from where he was to the right. It, it was like three or four players suddenly had different positions and different roles to perform because of that one thing. And yeah, look, it's easy for us to say, but I think if I was a manager in that situation, I would cause the least disruption that I possibly could by by making tactical changes to to you know to 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 cope with a ten men deficit. So so yeah, Woodgate didn't cover himself in glory. And where Woodgate didn't cover himself in glory, perhaps Thomas Frank certainly did with his uh, substitutions at, at, at half time with force on for Rusleff and then put him up front with, with Tony. And they'd kind of switched to this back three formation in, in that 5 0 win over Preston last month. And it's really worked for him, for them. And, and that was a bit of a stroke of genius, Sam. Yeah. And, you know, fortunate. Um really that Bournemouth went down to 10 in that they weren't too disturbed by not having Norgard because I think he's been you know a big part of this he completely changed the dynamic of the way that they play but yeah it was it was a really bold decision obviously took off the the right wing back and could be more offensive down that flank with Mbomo and um, force on to to support um, Tony so yeah they they went looking for the kill really in, in that second half and and Bournemouth obviously were just going to try everything in their power to frustrate and get over the line so yeah it was another similar to the away game actually at, at Bournemouth where Thomas Frank's team were, were down to 10 men on that occasion but continue to pr- to probe and and be offensive well the uh, it was on the other foot this time but Thomas Frank still I thought reacted brilliantly at half time and and they got the goals ultimately Okay, well, one person who was actually there and possibly the most famous Bees fan out there from Talk Sports, it's Natalie Sawyer. Okay, Nat, listen, this is, I'm just going to put this out there. Producer Abby said this. Are you buzzing? Have you recovered? <laughs> oh, do you know what? Um, Saturday was the roller coaster of emotions that a lot of football fans will have gone through, no doubt. But um, I. I'm recovered, yes, but I'm, I feel like my throat hasn't quite recovered yet uh, because I shouted like I've never shouted at a game before. I'm not normally someone that does shout. I'm normally quite quiet, but because I was, I sat there with my mask on, I felt a little bit anonymous. So I felt like I could shout more than I've ever shouted before. So, um, yes, a huge euphoric high from Saturday, but now it's very much focused on this coming final that's, uh, that's this weekend. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly because that's going to be absolutely epic. But what was it like in the stands and how does it compare? Yeah. Obviously, you've been there before uh, in terms of playoffs at Griffin Park. What, what was the difference at the new stadium? Oh, my goodness. Um, you're absolutely right. Obviously, we've been in the playoffs quite a few times, have a terrible record. Um, but this was the first time at our new stadium that we had 4,000 fans there. And it felt like it was 40,000 fans. The atmosphere was it was buzzing. I know it's a terrible pun to use as, as bees fans, but it was. It was brilliant. Um, the club prior to kickoff really whipped it up. They got the players to do a little bit of a lap of honour, as did Thomas Frank, geeing us all up. Um, they'd already said ahead of the game as well, we want to create a hostile environment, being the fact that we were a goal down from that first leg. And it was sensational. It was spine tingling, actually. Um, and hearing the crowd sing Hey Jude, as we always do before a game, it just got everybody whipped up into a, a bit of a frenzy, really. You got yourself whipped up into a bit of a frenzy on Sunday morning as well about Asmir Begovic, didn't you? Oh, that, was, my. that was quite funny. Bit of a villain. Oh, I, do you know what? I, I cannot understand how a seasoned pro as Asmir Begovic is, who is the captain of Bournemouth, ended up being like a, a petulant, school kid the way he um reacted out on that pitch from from minute one I thought was quite embarrassing for a professional footballer don't get me wrong I understand what the, the stakes were high but he was time wasting from so very early on that yeah I, I couldn't help but get wound up by his behavior I'm just I'm just grateful really that um we came through the, the testing circumstances Honestly, you're bang on, Natalie. I think he he definitely embarrassed himself. He, he, he'll look back on that and, and cringe, I would expect. Mm. I just wondered, are, are the Bees fans claiming an assist for that penalty? <laughs> um, possibly. Uh, I mean, certainly Bournemouth think we, we um, were able to turn the referee in our favour. Um, I mean, look, we did our job as, as the 12th man, as we were asked to be. But I think the referee, and I, again, one of the reasons I was annoyed with Asmir Begovic, as I was with a lot of, you know, Jonathan Woodgate, a lot of the people involved with Bournemouth, they were very critical of Jared Gillette. And I actually thought he did a, have, he had a pretty good game. I think he got the, the main decisions right. And, and we as Brentford fans felt there were some decisions that went against us. So I don't think he was biased. Um, but I, I thought he did really well. And I thought it was a deserved penalty. And, you know, as I said, we were able to turn that tie in our favour. And, and yes, of course, we created a, a fantastic atmosphere. Um, but I don't think the referee was swayed in any way. <laughs> Natalie, you've obviously had, the, for me, the best striker in a division this season. And in the wake of Saturday's game, I was speaking to a Brentford supporting colleague of mine who said that Ivan Tony, I quote, is the greatest ever Brentford player. And I was taken a little bit aback. But then when wow. he said about the points returned this season, the potential of what you could achieve, the amount of goals he scored. You know, I was kind of with him. Would you go along with that? Or is there someone else from their history that you go oh, for? Uh, it's very hard for anyone to beat Dean Holdsworth for me, but that's because I'm going back a while and he was my hero when I was young and he's the player that really got me involved in football and into Brentford. But uh, I mean, goodness me, how can anyone argue about what Ivan Tony has achieved in just one season, you know, to break the championship goal scoring record that, had been in place for, for so long that Glenn, Glenn Murray had, had had got under Crystal Palace. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe if he can get the all-important goal that we need on Saturday, then yeah, perhaps he will go down in folk, folklore history as the most important Brentford player in our history. Um, I think he's still got a job to do, though, before we can actually say that, though. 
Yeah, one season does not make a legend. But as you say, if he does it on Saturday, it could potentially. How positive are you feeling? And is it going to be 10th time lucky? (laughs) Well, that's the problem, isn't it? You just said it there, 10th time lucky. We have the worst record when it comes to playoffs. We've never won one. Um, and so I think it's it's only natural that most Brentford fans are pessimistic as much as we're excited. And and that Saturday against Bournemouth, the, the celebrations afterwards, we were right to do that, right to get excited about the possibility of being in the Premier League next season. But we, we're always brought back down to earth when it comes to the playoffs um, because we do so badly in them in finals. And I've, you know, like every fan, we've, we've never experienced winning at Wembley. So um, I will be cautiously optimistic but it's, it's going to be tough because Swansea themselves want to create history. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll have to reserve reserve judgment, shall we say. Well, I'm hoping that I'm sending you a congratulatory text at the weekend <laughs> rather than the many commiseratory ones that I've sent oh. over the years. Oh, Honestly, yeah. really, like this is no offence to Swansea fans at all, but really rooting for you on Saturday. Keep my fingers crossed. Of all the teams that deserve it, you've absolutely lit the stage up over the past few seasons and uh, good luck to you. Take care and thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much. Appreciate your wishes. Natalie Sawyer there um, got her voice back slightly probably going to lose it again by next week uh looking ahead for Bournemouth though does Jonathan Woodgate get to stay or do the powers that be need to get their cherry picker out again Sam oh I'm really on the fence with this I I think he's probably just about done enough to be given another chance but realistically I think he'll be replaced and I think they probably would have gone after a name had they got into the Premier League even if he'd got them promoted and I think that'll probably be the case again it just depends who, who's out there uh, I suppose and I'm, I'm with Adrian you know not covered himself in glory maybe in in these last few games even going back to those few defeats you know would he have gone back and done things slightly differently to therefore avoid Brentford I think that's a that's quite a strong argument you know considering what was served up in the in the tie that we're going to come on to talk about because you know Brentford and Bournemouth were always going to be the two strongest outfits Well, you set me up perfectly there, Sam, so thank you for that. Swansea won, Barnsley won on the day, but Swansea progressing 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, That's who Brentford are going to be facing. Less fun than the other game. Uh, Matt Grimes' first-time strike effectively sealing this one. Uh, What was it that Swansea had over Barnsley in this tie, Adrian? A touch of class. You saw it with the goals, didn't you, Uh, Andre Ayew? Wonderful curling finish in the first leg and... And the same with Matt Grimes. It was a dog of a tie over the two legs. Very little football. But but I, what I did admire was the way Swansea went about their task because they knew and accepted that Barnsley would make it the kind of match that they wanted it to be. They knew it would be ugly. So they didn't try to assert their passing style and what they like to do. They didn't even try. What they did was just accept it, come up with a game plan around that to negate Barnsley and then rely on bits of magic when they did get opportunities inside the final third. So for me, even though it won't go down as a tactical masterclass for Steve Cooper, I kind of think it was because he he adapted to the situation superbly, as did his players, of course. Yeah, one of those players, Mark Gay, he named, named man of the match in, in both legs. Just 20 years old, Sam. Have his performances surprised you in any way, particularly in, in these two legs as well? 
Uh, no, would be my answer because I've been been fortunate to to watch him in in Chelsea's academy. So I've been you know well aware of him, uh, especially given that he's captain. I think England under 19s. Um, so he, he comes with really good pedigree into his first loan. Um, I'd probably have said that they expected bigger things of him than maybe Tamori, who's probably exceeded expectations, I think, from what he's done in the early part of his career. So no, he's been brilliant. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Steve Cooper continued with the 4-3-3 in these two games and backed those two young athletic, physical centre-halves who just were outstanding and, and the difference along with what you know, Clarkey said about the, the the finishes, which was quite ironic in such d- two dismal encounters. There was th- <laughs> there was three, wasn't there? Absolutely outstanding goals. The Woodrow one could have been the pick of the bunch. It was a, a brilliant bit of play down the right from Williams and a, a fantastic finish. But yeah, I mean, they haven't beaten them in four attempts now this season. So Swansea have, have, have completely dominated that affair. And I think it's time that we probably put the... Swansea total football um, dominating possession myth to bed because I've been down there a lot this season and it's a great trip the people are lovely at at Swansea but this is a very different side to what they've enjoyed in years gone by they play a bit more football at Wembley I would suggest but it's nothing like it was under the Martinez and and Rodgers and, and Gary Monk and such like Well, maybe they will come back. We shall see. Big questions surrounding Barnsley now, though, Robin, because their team's going to be broken up a little bit. Uh, No DK unless they suddenly find £20 million lying under the carpet. That'd be nice for all of us, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh, And Moet's on a free as well. Um, What can they do next season? Because I personally was so surprised to see them do this this season, bearing in mind, you know, we were in a relegation battle with them as as a Luton fan last season, that they've been incredible. Oh, the turnaround's been amazing. You know, they stayed up in the last few minutes, didn't they, last season? Um, I think Valerian Ishmael's been a fantastic appointment. Um, but yeah, it's going to be tricky. It's when a, whenever a team overperforms, you do expect to see the, the team broken up. I'm not sure how much he's going to be backed. Um, and also, I'm not sure what the Barnsley fans' expectation is going to be now they've reached a playoff semi-final where they're going to expect them to be back there again. Um, I think that might be a bit of a stretch, really, especially if they do lose so many players. But they've been great. You know, whenever I've heard a player speak about playing against them, they say it's it's really hard. They've played this, you know, mad style that you don't really see anymore. And it's been effective. Um, Just wondering if Ishmael might have to change things up a little bit next season if they, you know, after a season of um, playing this way, maybe new players. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do next campaign. Yeah, well, the next campaign is going to be fascinating for, for so many reasons, isn't it? And we've seen the the managerial merry-go-round in full force already and we're not even at the end of the season officially and already all the rumours are kind of circling about who's going where and what's going to happen. And that redhead dude asks, Brentford versus Swansea, is it safe to say whoever loses are going to be waving goodbye to their manager who will end up heading to a Premier League club, Adrian? No. No, I don't think so. Not if they lose, no. I mean, so if Brentford lose, Thomas Frank's going to get snapped up by a Premier League club. No. Um, If they lose, Thomas Frank will probably have to look in the mirror and say, can I go again? Have I got that enthusiasm and energy and, you know, belief to, 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 
you know, go, go a full season again to in the hope of going up automatically because it would have taken a lot out of him. Cooper, if Swansea don't make it, will will, will stay and go again. I'm sure. Two really good managers, definitely. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of Cooper. Sam's right about the style of play, not as total football as, as it used to be. But what I admire about them is that they're able to do both. They can do a bit of everything, and they can mix up their formations quite quite well. So, so Cooper will keep Brentford guessing. I think tactically ahead of this playoff final. Um, we know Brentford will, will go on the front foot. I still think Thomas Frank's impressed some people, Sam, and might be might be an in- of interest. Um, no, I don't think so. Maybe not right now. Um, maybe he'd have to make that, that step with Brentford and then impress in the, in the Premier League. I just think there's probably still quite a few question marks about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly in the last few games, um, he, he's shown tactically some, some excellent decisions, the way he changed the formation, what, a couple of months ago now, and they've been on this, this brilliant run. So yeah, you know, and to respond to the disappointment of last year and get them up there again, you have to give him the utmost respect, but yeah, I think probably still a little bit more to do before he's linked with Premier League jobs. Okay, so none of you are having Steve Cooper or uh, Thomas Frank going anywhere. That's uh, that was very simple. Uh, Abby, we've had a little chat about the playoff final happening this Saturday, but what does Paddy Power say? They are backing Brentford quite heftily. They are the four to five favourites uh, with Swansea seven to two draw, uh, eleven to five. So place your money, place your money on uh, Brentford is the answer from Paddy Power. Thank you very much. Uh, up next, I'm so sorry, Robin, but we're heading to League One. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This week on The Athletic, you can get your EFL fix with a raft of stories tailor-made for you, Football League fan. If you want a little more playoff detail in your life, then Michael Walker's been following the Black Cats for the last two months. But if that's not your style, then James Pearce had a sit-down with Blackpool manager Neil Critchley. Or if you want something a little more highbrow, perhaps, then Matt Slater's talking all about why clubs want parachute payments scrapped. They're more like rocket boosters anyway. And to find out about the very latest arrival to the EFL, then Stu James has got all the details you need to know about Sutton United. Plus, if you're not yet a subscriber, then you can head to theathletic.com slash league show to get a unique discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Walsh waiting and they've got the goal. Oh, well, that really has put the cat amongst the pigeons. And once again, it's Tom Hopper who's on target for Lincoln. Okay, oh dear me, Black Cats fans, look away now. Sunderland 2, Lincoln 1. 
Victory on the day, but an aggregate score of 2-3 sends Lincoln into the playoff final. It's the same old story at the Stadium of Light. Uh, Sunderland came into it two goals down from the first leg, but a chink of hope for the fans after two first-half goals. Then disaster struck as Lincoln grabbed a goal that was enough to get them through to Wembley. Um, First of all, it's all about Charlie White, really, isn't it? Good and bad after he missed an open goal, then made amends uh, by scoring. But perhaps just needed a little bit more from him in a game of this magnitude, Robin. Perhaps. I just feel like Sunderland are cursed at this stage. Mm-hmm. It's like Netflix are still following them and they're going, you know, just going, there's a shadow of Netflix since they've come in, it's just been one disaster after another, one final, one so close, and then, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. It just feels like at this stage, it's just the most Sunderland thing ever, managing to get themselves back into it and then, you know, doing that. It, they just haven't, I think they came into it really in a bad, they didn't have very good momentum, did they, coming into these playoffs? And, well, we've, we've heard George and Ali, he's not called Streaky Lee for nothing, is he, Lee Johnson? He goes on these runs of wins and then runs of defeats and he just seems like he, he got he started a run of bad form at just the wrong time. And I think, for me, really impressed with Lincoln because psychologically that must have been a big blow to see their 2-0 lead disappear so quickly you know, in front of her, it sounded really fantastic, the atmosphere in particular. Obviously, they all were great to see, hear the fans back, but in particular in Sunderland because they were allowed so many fans back in. Um, I think the complete opposite of what we were talking about with Bournemouth. I know Michael Alvinson quite well. He's the coolest character. He doesn't. He's not a shouter or a screamer. On the touchline, he just keeps a cool head. He kind of gets his players going on the training ground and trusts them. And I think that showed... That showed in that time. Yeah, well, he said post-match he effectively tore his team a new one at half-time. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> but, maybe not so cool then. <laughs> not so cool and calm, I would say. But, but you know, it, it lit something up them, you know, bringing uh, McGrandles and, and Walsh on at half-time, Adrian. They, they were just a changed team in that second half. Yeah, it was it was the right thing to do. I, I think that he got the starting eleven wrong, really. I understand why he went with the same team, because they were so brilliant. I was at that game at Lincoln and they were superb, but... But what they needed was a bit more stability in, in central midfield. It was too bold. And 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 I just like the fact that he was big enough to admit that, took responsibility and changed it, did something about it. He also, Lewis Montsma had a blinder off the bench in the first leg, but was struggling. So at half time, big decision to take him off for Walsh. And it and, and both those substitutions changed the game. Sunderland, I don't know what happened to Sunderland because they were pressing, they were all over them like a rash. And then they just blew up, really, started just knocking long balls. Um, so it's it a mixture of Sunderland falling off a cliff and Lincoln composing themselves and, and basically just taking a bit of control. And they picked Sunderland off. And I could see it in that first leg. They leave holes, big holes, Sunderland. They take chances. And um, Lincoln were unlucky to actually lose the game in the end on, on the day. Could easily have drawn it, drawn it or won it. Should probably should have. Obviously, we had the penalty. We had a, a, a miss in a one v one. So yeah, Lincoln for me deserved it over the over the two legs. They were the better team. Sunderland more like individuals.
Interesting. What would you say, Sam? Were Sunderland the architects of their own downfall, if you like, because they did seem very much in in control of this second leg? No, I think huge credit to to Lincoln. I don't disagree with anything Adrian said. I'll say the other ingredient was one of my former managers used to call it 2-0 football. And I think, you know, having been so wretched in that first half, the pressure's almost off. And footballers are weird people. I think, you know, the mentality can switch so quickly. All of a sudden, the Lincoln players were composed. They were crisper in their passing. The game was 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 lost, was on the verge of being lost. And all of a sudden, that momentum can just swing. You see it happen so often. And that, that was the first thing I thought when I was watching that second half. They're playing 2-0 football. The shoulders are down. They're relaxed now. And um, yeah, those changes made a, a huge difference. And Sunderland went from having their best 45 minutes of the season, not being able to string a pass together. But that said, McGeady still hit the post. Um, you know, there was there was chances at both ends. Lincoln probably should have extended it at, at one point with McGrandall's opportunity and of of course the penalty. But no, I give huge credit to Lincoln. I think they're the better side. They were the better side over the two legs. Probably deserve their place at Wembley. Just a quick one, Sam. Do you think that he had enough defensive players on the pitch, Lee Johnson? Because he starts with 09 at centre half and Gooch at, at right back. Um, McFadden, you know, wing back in essence, didn't have enough defensive players on the, on the field, did he? I don't know. I don't know the way they played in the first half. He didn't need them. Yeah, he didn't need them probably. Um, maybe you know, in retrospect, to to react. You know, in the in the second half when Lincoln started on the front foot, maybe that was the opportunity to just shore things up and say, Do you know what, this may go all the way all the way to extra time and, and penalties. But as it was, Lincoln got their goal, I suppose. The Hopper goal is a huge moment. And from that moment on, they never looked in serious doubt, despite those chances I spoke of. It's really interesting. You, you said earlier that they played like a, a team of individuals, Adrian, because many of the players are out of contract at the end of this season. Uh, what do the club actually have to do to stop this perpetual stay in League One? Because we're talking four seasons now. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. They, they have to build a new team. McGeady, they can't afford to keep, can they? It's as simple as that. So so he's going to go and he, he is absolutely the talisman. We know that. Charlie Wyke will have suitors. They'll get offers for him, I'm sure. So so that's their two main men gone. What they have to do is rebuild. With, they're a very attractive club to play for, Sunderland. And they've just got to find the best around in League One, in League Two, maybe from the Championship, that they can bring in that are hungry and willing to to learn and for, forge a new team under, under Lee Johnson. But yeah, it, it does feel, with McGeady going, that... They're going to have to take two steps back before they come forward again. Absolutely no gimme that they'll go up again next season. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah, Robin, where do you stand on whether it's good or or not so good for a manager to have to rebuild a team? Because Lee Johnson might actually think that that's, that's useful to him. What do you think? Yeah, I think actually in Sunderland's case, it could be a bit of a blessing because Adrian is quite right. Yes, it is still a very attractive club to play for, but they're probably shopping in a different market now, aren't they? You know, they used to be able to attract possibly players of a higher calibre when it had only been one or two seasons, but now it's like they're, unfortunately for them, established in League One. So even though they'll still probably be able to attract players that are at the top of that division, I don't think 
many players who are championship or Premier League level would fancy them now just because it's been so long. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, tough times for for Sunderland fans, definitely. Uh, let's go on to the other playoffs, shall we? I'm so sorry again, Robin. I've apologised to you about 10 times, but actually I don't know why I'm apologising because there's nothing I can do about the score. I wasn't there. Um, Blackpool 3, Oxford 3, uh, Blackpool through 6-3 on aggregate to cement their place at Wembley. Um, not quite how you would have wanted your return to go, Robin, I know, but we have to talk about Oxford first and foremost. Did you have any hope when you took the lead in this second leg? No, <laughs> no, it was, it was, especially having watched the first leg, I genuinely, I think Blackpool are, are going to go up and I think they're the best all round team in the playoffs. I'd say Neil Critchley's just got them coached brilliantly. Quite surprising that they conceded three, to be honest. Um, really disappointing though, when we scored, every time we scored, they seem to score again. So no, I didn't have much hope. And actually, for me, I'm pretty zen about it because we crept in on the final day. I, I didn't expect us to. We beat Burton and then we were waiting for Portsmouth and um, I didn't expect them to slip up and they did. So it was just a bonus, really. Obviously, it's not what you want to, to go through. But actually, after what happened last season against Wickham, it's such a terrible start. I think psychologically that really affected us. So actually, I'm not too... I can't take another Wembley heartbreak phase, especially not in <laughs> successive seasons. I actually I think for the players and for Carl Robinson it's actually better it happened this way. Got the makings of a very good team, but not quite there yet. I hope someone gave Carl Robinson a cuddle. He looked like he was about to burst in tears, oh, into tears him. every time the camera panned in on him, didn't it? it was, <laughs> did, yeah, did it? touchline ban, wasn't he? So he couldn't even be down on the, down the touchline. Um, so yeah, no, it's a different vantage point for him. <laughs> Yeah, he's actually turned around and said, I need a break. I'm running on nothing. It's been a long two years and mentally and physically exhausted. I mean, th this season in particular, the, the, the run in the, the past 18 months has been tough for everybody. But but Carl Robinson in particular, the, the emotional roller coaster must be really quite tough for him uh, to be going through. Uh, Adrian, what's that stat about Oxford against top half teams that, that you've had? Oh, not very me. good. <laughs> not very good against top half. I think... We beat. I think we beat one. We beat Lincoln after they were ravaged with COVID. I think that was it. Um, the whole season. So it, it really properly flat track bullies. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been labelling them flat track bullies most of the season, and so and so it proved. Yeah. Look, I just think, I think they just didn't have a little bit like Sunderland didn't have enough natural defenders on the pitch, and when you come up against a really good team, and Blackpool are a really good team, as Robin's just outlined. You'll get found out, and 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 it it doesn't need to go any further than that. So Sam Robin said that Blackpool were favourites to to beat Lincoln in the final. What say you? Yeah, just about. I probably underestimated them a little bit because I uh, encouraged Carl Robinson to to go for it and play open, expansive stuff. But uh, yeah, oh, so it's your fault. Did you not? <laughs> did you not catch last week's reverse psychology, Robin? Because it's worked out. It's worked out wonderfully well. Oh, I have yes. to say. <laughs> no, I was just—I was listening to the compliments, and then I forgot. Oh, I played it beautifully, haven't I? Um, but <laughs> you've taken blame for Steve Cook. You've taken—I'm happy, I'm happy to take. That is I'm happy to game, take blame Sam. for this. I've got safety in numbers um, in the West Country. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I did hope that Oxford would make a better fist of it. But I just think you know Blackpool, especially you know with the sharpness and the the counter-attacking threat 
through Sims and and Yates and Embleton obviously just had too much. And Adrian's right about the you know defensive woes, I suppose, of Oxford not having enough muscle maybe in there. So no, they're a really good side. Probably played into their hands that Oxford on a team that get it forward really quickly and put you under physical threat. I thought they were actually better when it became a bit more of that in the second game. But um, yeah, very difficult one to call. But I think just because of the defensive solidity that they've had Blackpool yes ship three goals yes look poor from set pieces but I think if you look at the bigger picture they've been brilliant in that regard and I make them slight favourites to beat Lincoln Okie dokie well Abby bring us the odds for Sunday's final yeah, Paddy Power make Blackpool even slightly more than slight favourites. They are 8 to 11 to get promoted with uh, Lincoln uh, coming in at evens. If you want match-specific odds, slightly different, but Blackpool still favourite, 21 to 20 to win uh, with Lincoln 12 to 5 and a draw coming in at 11 to 5. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much. Now, up next, if it's goals you like, and to be fair, who does not, you're going to love League 2. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And the really on the front foot is Collins, makes it two. Unbelievable, two goals in about 90 seconds. Ellis went for the top corner and finds it. Wow, what a story. Can he get the cross in? He can. And they've scored. Oh, and of all people, it's Jamie. Ball for Maynard. Can he get on the end of it? Maynard surely has scored the winner and sent Newport County through to the final. Right, well, Forest Green Rovers 4, Newport 3 was how it ended on the day, but Newport progressing on aggregate 4-5. Uh, it was a massive attack at the new lawn, but in the end, the home team were left with more than just the one teardrop after Nicky Maynard's 119th minute winner for Newport. It was the only tie to go to extra time and it was such good fun, wasn't it? But perhaps not good fun if you were outside on the gantry. <laughs> Robin, you must have been delighted not to have been there for this one. <laughs> Actual massive puddles on the pitch and it was uh, more Rodney Parade than Kevin Newlawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it gave me flashbacks of the time I nearly drowned in a gantry on uh, during Met Police against uh, Newport, actually, in the FA Cup, having to bail out water from our position. Um, yeah, that's one I'll never forget. Maybe maybe it was the weather, actually, that favoured Newport, you know, being in Wales, I think. But it was absolutely filthy, wasn't it? But what a fantastic game of football. But how devastating is it to be on the losing side of that, to be like that um, that tennis match, was it Nicholas Mahu and John Isner, you know, that oh. went on for forever and ever. And you just think, whoever loses that, that is going to hurt, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you said, Sam, that an early Forest Green goal 
would make this tie tasty and you were absolutely right. You were at the first leg and there were four big changes uh, to the starting 11 as well. Yeah, and it was a miserable night in, in Newport, by the way, as well. It was teaming down. So they had, they had it on both occasions, the, the sets of players and supporters. Um, yeah, I just felt... I wasn't down on Newport because obviously they deserved their lead. Could have been more, but I just thought Forest Green showed something in that second half. And a lot of that was down to Cadden and Jamil Matt and Sweeney, who was probably the best player on display last night. And I just thought they were going to be a different proposition. Gave them the option to be a little bit more direct with Jamil Matt. Cadden's got beautiful delivery and it played out exactly like that, really. And so, you know, that was a a much improved Forest Green with much more threat and Newport had to dig incredibly deep. And once again, we're going to be talking about some brilliant managerial decisions or did Michael Flynn just go all out attack and just stick all his strikers on there and get a little bit lucky, probably conditions thrown in as well. It was just one of those brilliant playoff nights that we'll remember for, for years to come. Yeah, it was a Michael Flynn masterclass, brought the old brigade on, as Kevin Ellison himself said, and uh, the substitutes really did it for him, Adrian. Yeah, yeah, it was a great story, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> even though it kissed the crossbar, didn't it, that Ellison shot? I mean, it was, I don't think it was the best. It wasn't heading it towards the top corner, was it? It was It was a sort of hit and hope You'd have saved it, Clarkie, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not on my height. I wouldn't. Uh, you I'd probably would. You, yeah, you, you'd have had no bother. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I liked his celebration. He definitely definitely was um, was going up towards Keith Andrews, wasn't he? There on the gantry, it was quite quite nice. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I, I think Taylor two managers again. You know, Jimmy Ball did he get the team wrong first leg? Um, you know, in terms of the second leg, definitely got it right. But Flynn. Yeah, I think it probably was. Let's get forwards on the pitch, but but you still got to do it. You still got to make your mind up at the right time. And uh, yeah, his feel for the game, Flynn, I think helped Newport over the line. But from a Forest Green point of view, it just it just shows what a difference a target man centre forward can make. Jamil Matt, if you if you don't have that guy, then you know you're half the team. So, yeah, th- th- this is why these kind of big physical front men that also score goals are worth so much money. Sam was one of those back in the day, remember. But uh, it's th- th- when, when you have an outlet like that, it, yeah, you, you become so reliant on it. And, and it looks to me like Forrest Green are reliant on him big time. Yeah, it's it's really interesting you mentioned the managers there because we are going to go on to, to the Morecambe-Tranmere game, but the two teams essentially who changed their, their manager are the two teams that haven't made it through to, to, to the playoff final, which is which is interesting, Robin. Yeah, no, that was a question I was going to ask the boys, actually. It's just it, I know different, very different circumstances, obviously, for both, but... You know, how much does that disrupt you? I know that Forest Green changed a bit earlier, didn't they, than Tranmere? But you just think preparation's probably not the greatest, is it, going into into that? And I think even though obviously Forest Green gave them a really good go and they nearly, nearly pulled it off, it just seemed like, yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. T- togetherness. I think it, when when you don't have a change like that, you're all in it together. You've had the season together as a unit and you've earned that 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 place in the playoffs and then for both of them to pull the plug on, on Keith Hill and, and Mark Cooper so late, it does creates a bit of disharmony, doesn't it? It has to, because some of those guys will have liked those managers. 
Not all of them, but some of them will be gutted that they've gone and they'll also be thinking, well, what are the club doing? We're just about to get in the playoffs and they're, and, and they're changing everything. So it just, it, it can work, but I think that the odds were always against both those teams because because of that situation. The, together, the, the better teams, the ones that are more settled in their style, in their starting 11s, they're the ones that made it. Yeah, they had been given hope for us. Green, obviously, Jamil Matt back, another key player, uh, taking it to extra time. But Newport were well in charge of uh, of extra time for sure, and it kind of stayed that way for the for the remaining half an hour. Uh, Nicky Maynard missing that sitter earlier on, which was slightly embarrassing, but even more embarrassing uh, was the marking from Forest Green Rovers, perhaps. But he kind of made up for it in the end, Sam. Yeah, that that was the thing going into this game. I, I knew Forest Green would give you a chance because I, I didn't really fancy their 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 setup their defensive setup in the first game I mean there's nothing um too sophisticated about the way that the two Newport strikers played especially in that game Amond and and Collins they're just pests work hard down the sides but there were so many individual mistakes that nearly turned into goals for Newport so that would have always been my concern going into that game I thought that the setup was the right one um for, for Forest Green in terms of the players that came back but I thought Newport would score and that's how it, it played out. And Maynard has been an, a brilliant goal scorer. It's not flowed for him maybe as much this season, but yeah, with him on the pitch, always liable to to get a goal. And quite fitting, I felt that um, his first touch was lovely over the keeper. And then his second one was just uh, emphasised the conditions, didn't it? He fell to his, his backside and somehow the ball scrambled over the line. So um, yeah, in keeping with what was a, a mad night. It's all about Newport because uh, they've set up the Kevin Ellison derby. It couldn't have been more perfectly set up, could we? Let's talk about how Morecambe got to Wembley. Uh, Morecambe won, Tranmere won on the day. Morecambe going through 3-2 on aggregate. A draw at the Mazuma, enough to see them head to Wembley. Uh, Robin, the most obvious starting point, as we've just mentioned, is, is getting rid of Keith Hill. Kind of didn't have the intended effect and uh, I'm wondering whether or not this is the League 2 equivalent of Spurs sacking Jose before the cup final. It feels like that, doesn't it? Um, it feels like a gamble and again, <laughs> like Jose, although I don't know, it seems fairly, just from what I've been hearing, fairly similar, just uh, getting a bit toxic and he saw, it sounds like he kind of had to go, Keith Hill. Um, so yeah, it's just a gamble that didn't pay off. I mean, to be fair to them, Tranmere battered Morecambe didn't they I mean I looked at the uh, I know possession doesn't win you games but Morecambe had 25% in the first leg and 32 in the second leg so they really didn't see a lot of the ball but that tells me that Derek Adams just got them really well drilled and they were just more clinical on the day Yep, they certainly were. Aaron Vildig uh, gave Morecambe a 3-1 aggregate lead after James Vaughan hit the bar what was it though that, uh, that gave Morecambe the edge across these two legs Adrian? I think they were just really comfortable in their setup, weren't they? Robin touched on it. <laughs> so well drilled. I've at the back, Lavelle and Knight Percival, rock solid. Because Tranmere have got a lot of experience as well. And, and you look at their their squad, their talent pool, their depth, Tranmere will be kicking themselves that they've not gone up. They will be absolutely gutted. But the bottom line is Morecambe with a with a better drilled unit that made fewer mistakes. Uh, they they stood up to the challenge, and then they picked them off. They were clinical when they had their chances, and that goal was 
was a case in point, wasn't it? It was a lovely little uh, piece of quick feet from Macalinden, slipped in Wildig, who tucks it home. For me, Morecambe, one of their great strengths this season has been goals from anywhere. Midfield, wingers, attacking midfielders, centre midfielders, centre-halves coming back for corners, the striker. They've all chipped in. And um, and yeah, that, and they'll be dangerous uh, at Wembley, no doubt about that. Impressive, really, to, to get themselves going again after missing out on the automatics by one point, Sam. Yeah, definitely. A real show of their, their strength of character. I think Lavelle spoke about that after the game and they produced two brilliant performances. They looked a bit leggy towards the end yesterday. I felt those um, counter-attacks were becoming more and more sporadic, but Tranmere just didn't build on that. James Vaughan goal, you felt, go on then, you know, where's the next bit of quality to come from? And the deliveries from wide were really poor. I think there was that, I suppose, urgency and it became really frantic and they were putting balls in too early and and, and the goalkeeper Leatherman was really commanding and those two centre-halves who Adrian spoke of were, were excellent. So they've shown themselves to be a really clever side, you know, played brilliantly on the counter-attack. Mendes Gomez, I thought, showed flashes in, in both games of his quality without really affecting the game hugely. But they got some really good attacking players and it's going to be a really good final against two two teams that have got clear identities. Yeah, interesting from a trauma point of view, though. Ian Dawes, uh, caretaker manager, absolutely furious post-match, said the minimum requirement to be a Tranmere player is to represent the fans. They want to see the players play for the shirt and the badge with hunger and desire. And I'll be angry if I was the fans watching today in the first 25 minutes in particular. Do you think he's got a point, Robin? I'm not sure. That's it's a difficult one, that. I think that, that sounds... He's obviously, in the moment, I feel that's a little bit harsh, to be honest. You know, I don't think they weren't trying. As we just said before, I think Morecambe were just the better side and they, they missed quite a few chances. James Vaughan has had a lot of the season out, hasn't he? He only just came back the last few games of the normal season, so maybe he wasn't quite at it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I, I think... I'm not sure what his future's going to be like. I'm not sure what anyone has said about if he'll be staying on, but um, I don't know if that's a sort of tactic he's got to sort of show that he cares. I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Lot, well, it sounds like there's a lot of... a lot of maybe resentment towards the players. Obviously... The manager's gone, hasn't he? I don't know what what Ian Dawes' relationship was like with Keith Hill, but but the players, some of the players, didn't get on with Keith Hill, and he's now accusing them of not giving everything to him. So it sounds to me as if as if um, Dawes is just putting it on the players really, and just saying this is this is not the best dressing room um, to move forward. We we need mm. to get rid of a few. I think that's the message. Okay, I'm going round one at a time. Who is your playoff champion? For League Two, Robin, Kevin Ellison. <laughs> it's going to be, <laughs> yeah, not Newport, because it's. I just can't wait. Round two, isn't it, Kevin? I just see. I can picture ding, it now. Ding. Kevin Ellison against Derek Adams, him scoring the winner. So I, I think it's going to be Newport. Although I, I do feel like it would be a better story, perhaps, if if Morecambe, because it's, oh, they, they'll be the first time in that in that tier, won't it? So um. Oh, I think possibly Newport will just edge it. Sam? Oh, I'm going to go with the story. I'm going to go with Morecambe. Goal to nil, set piece. Adrian? Yeah, Morecambe. Um, I don't think they're 
star players lit up the semi-final, Wembley might be the right stage for them. I'm going to even it up in that case and go with Robin and say, uh, in that case, it's going to be Newport because I, again, would love to see the screaming in the face. <laughs> Sorry, Derek Adams, but, it you know, for pure entertainment value as opposed to respect, On the biggest I'm stage. Kind of going for that. <laughs> so I'm going for the, a different kind of story. Uh, right, one last time then, Abby, who are Paddy backing? Paddy Power are backing Kevin Ellison and Newport County. They are the slight favourites, 7-5. to five. Morecambe, 17-10. to 10. The draw, 11-5. to five. But if you look at the outrights, they can't actually pick them apart. They are both 5 to six to get promoted don't know how that works but there you go wonderful stuff thank you abby you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or on the paddy power app prices are accurate at the time of recording it is over 18s only t's and c's apply and when the fun stops stop Right, before we wrap, a congratulations to Sutton United, who are in the EFL for the first time in their history. And on that note, Sutton United, obviously famed for their pie-eating goalkeeper of many FA Cups back now, uh, which, of course, begs the question here on the Toastly Football League show, what is your pie of choice, Adrian Clark? Oh, what is my pie of choice? Good question. Do you know what? It, it, it changes week on week. I'm not... I'm not married to one particular pie um <laughs> individually i will i will flirt between a steak and kidney a beef and onion i, I go you know chicken you know chicken and mushroom i'm not fussed robin completely opposite me i'm loyal um chicken tikka from the west brom press room it is <laughs> the best especially on a on a very cold night of the hawthorns <laughs> Beautifully specific. Uh, Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with Robin, I think. Probably in terms of football matches, the older uh, chicken balti I would probably opt for. But yeah, I'm, I'm versatile as well. Versatile as an egg. <laughs> I'm going to throw a grenade in the mix and just go for minced pie. Gluten-free, of course. <laughs> Sweet version. Uh, right, that's a wrap on the semi-finals. Ali and George are going to be with you on Thursday to preview the finals before Matt's back next Tuesday to finally bring the season to a close. So thank you very much to Natalie Sawyer for joining, to Sam, to Adrian and to Robin and, of course, to you, listener, as well. Until next time, though, goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 